If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 41. Genesis 41, as you're finding your place there in God's Word, I do want to welcome the venue service meeting with us right down the hall. I know they have had a baptism this morning, and that is exciting. I also want to welcome uh, Reach Church DeSoto joining us, and many of you I know are joining us online this morning, and we're grateful you're worship with, worshiping with us as well. Uh, I do want to let you know something you probably already know, but it is warming up, and Easter is just around the corner. We're four weeks away from Easter Sunday, and I want to encourage you to mark your calendars. It's, we're, we're planning for some very large crowds here at church that weekend, and we're making several services available to you. And so, excuse me, I want to encourage you to, uh, to just kind of make plans now where you're going to attend. Um, Saturday night service is going to be an incredible opportunity. 5 p.m. we worship every Saturday night. Uh, but that Easter weekend, if, if you prefer a little more space, um, Saturday evening might be a good option for you. We're going to have an 8 o'clock service right here in this room. Uh, we'll have two services at 9.30, two services at 11. We also have services at Fellowship Olathe and Reach Church DeSoto. So what I just want to encourage you to do is begin to make plans now for what we're hoping and praying is going to be a really big Sunday. And praying that many would be here that maybe don't know the Lord. And they'd get a chance to hear the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that they have a great experience here at Lenexa Baptist Church. So pray with us towards that weekend and, and begin to make your plans and how you're going to worship with us uh, that weekend. And don't forget as well, next weekend, spring forward, right? All right, spring forward next weekend. Going to lose an hour, all right? So don't forget. Well, this morning... Genesis 41, you know, if there was a, a heading over Joseph's life, even beyond just the natural, the sovereignty of God that we're continuing to see and we're going to see even uh, this morning, but I think if there were a saying above his life, it would have to be that you never know what a day will bring. So much of Joseph's life was waking up in the morning, probably anticipating another normal day in his life. And then God would thrust him into these situations where he would grow. And even as we're going to see this morning, God's going to thrust him in a situation where he's going to have to stand underneath the weight of it and demonstrate God's power and God's glory and God's discernment. And God will have prepared him. 14 years of preparation. God was working very slowly. And then God strikes quickly. And God worked slowly to make him ready for what he would do very quickly. So with that in mind, let's read this passage. There's a lot of verses here, I know. Um, but, you know, there's probably nothing more important that we do on Sunday morning than to read God's word. All right? So we're going to read it this morning. Genesis 41, beginning of verse 1. It says, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. And then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. 
Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh's going to repeat his dreams to Joseph. And we look down to verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and, it will, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and, let him, uh, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let them exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt." Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephanath Paniah, and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, and his, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. 
During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land of Egypt, came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the earth. Lord, this morning we ask you to bless the study of your word. God, I believe there's some very relevant and practical principles that you would have us to see. But God, you must illumine our minds to them. So we pray for these brief moments. You would, God, keep us focused on your word. Protect us from the distractions of the things that might occur later in the day. But right now, for this moment, may we calm our hearts and may you give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Lord, teach us, instruct us. Your servant is listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we pick up in chapter 41, right there in that first verse, you find out that Joseph is in a place of total desperation. I can only imagine at this point Joseph has become somewhat hopeless about his circumstance. That his opportunity has passed him by as the cupbearer has obviously forgotten him. And now he's either left to die or maybe his greatest hope is that somehow he'll be able to get out of jail and maybe just somehow be able to be reunited with his family. In other words, I think at this moment all of his dreams of being exalted over his family have probably to a large extent hit the dirt. Here you have this little Israelite, this nobody. I mean, he's somebody to us, but we know the story. But remember, Joseph is nothing more than a prisoner in a jail cell, in a dungeon, in a vast Egyptian kingdom. And yet God has him right where he wants him. And Egypt doesn't know it, but they don't stand a chance. And as we read this, we're reminded that God loves for the odds to stack up against him. That Joseph may be insignificant. He may seem really small, but he worships and serves a really big God. And in Scripture, we learn time and time again that insignificant people become insignificant. Incredibly significant as they're connected to God and as they have an understanding of his word. 
And so here, Joseph, the odds are stacked up against him. And these are the platforms where God does his best work. This is Abraham and Sarah trying to have a child in their 90s. This is David before a giant. It's the Israelites backed up against the Red Sea with this great Egyptian army bearing down on them. These are the places where God loves to show up and show off. And I say all this to remind those of you that maybe you're in a situation today where it seems like the odds are stacking up against you. It may feel like you're in a dungeon and all hope is lost. This ought to be an encouragement to you that God might just be up to something far greater than you can possibly imagine. And certainly we know that in this impossible situation, God is doing something. God is working even when Joseph can't see it. And so Pharaoh has this dream and Joseph is about to hear the words that will change his life forever, that will really transform all of human history. He'll get a knock on the jail cell door that says, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. And this is the moment that God has been preparing Joseph for. It's taken God 14 years to prepare Joseph for this moment. And in a matter of hours, his circumstances will change dramatically. From the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And it's a reminder at the basis of this story are two notions that run throughout it. That God works both slowly and quickly. The question is, is God quick or slow? Yes. And oftentimes he works very slowly so that he can work quickly. And sometimes he works quickly because he's been working very slowly. God is able to work very quickly in Joseph's life in this moment because he's been working for 14 years to prepare him for it. Listen, God can change our circumstances in a matter of moments. In a matter of seconds, you truly never know what a day might bring. You never know what situation you might be thrust into tomorrow or even today. And so our prayer is, God, shape us and mold us even in the monotonous moments of the day-to-day life so that when that moment arrives, I'll be able to be the man or woman you've called me to be. The monotonous moments of life in the day-to-day circumstances are the means by which God prepares us for those moments when he works very quickly and he threats us into situations and we have to stand up underneath them for his glory. As we allow God to mold us in the monotony of life, God prepares us for those sudden moments. And many of you could testify today how you were just walking in faithfulness to God And a moment came, and you were called upon to testify unto the greatness of God. And you could look back and see how the previous years, God had been preparing you for that moment. And then we see the dream's interpretation. It's interesting to me, Pharaoh has this dream, and in verse 8, he calls all the magicians and all the wise men to try to interpret this dream. And they don't have a clue. He turns to his wise men, 
What does this mean? These are the PhDs. These are the educated. And they don't understand. They don't know what God is doing. They don't have a clue. It's, it's like Nebuchadnezzar. You'll remember in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has that great dream, the statue, and then this stone comes and smashes the statue, and then it grows to fill the land, and Nebuchadnezzar goes to his wise men. Do you guys understand what this means? They don't have a clue, but then he turns to Daniel. Daniel, do you know what this means, and what does Daniel ever say? Yeah, I know exactly what God is doing. Well, here, Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret the cupbearer. He now remembers at just the right time. I just so happen to know a guy who's able to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh calls him, and they get Joseph a quick shave and a change of clothes, and they thrust him out in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him, can you interpret this dream? And I love Joseph's response. It's not in me. I'm not that smart, but God can do this. Not on my own, but God can. But I think the bigger picture that I see here is that the world on its own, no matter how smart they think they are, they cannot know what God is doing. Unless what? Unless God speaks. Unless God reveals himself to them. You know, if we were to take a guest in this room this morning and we were to ask them to stand up, and we were to say to everybody in the room, tell us about this individual. We could make some guesses about what kind of person that, that individual is. But we could not ever really know that individual until they did what? Until they spoke. And they told us who they are and why they're here and what they're doing. Listen, you can't know God and what he's doing unless he speaks. And the good news is God has spoken in his word. God tells us who he is. God tells us what he's doing so that you can take the youngest believer in this room. This is amazing. You can take the youngest believer in this room who knows their Bible. And they can tell you where history began. They can tell you why we're sinners, why we're messed up. They can tell you the solution to our problems. They can tell you what God has done, what God is doing, and they can tell you exactly where history is headed. Not because they're that smart, but because God has revealed himself to us in his word. So you see this right here. Joseph, he's a little, I mean, he's just a slave in a dungeon. He probably barely grasped the Egyptian language. And yet he's smarter than all the learned men in all of Egypt. Why? Because he's connected to God and he has a word from God. It's just like Daniel. What gives Joseph an advantage over everybody else? What gives Daniel an advantage over everybody else? They have a word from God. And that's us. We have an advantage. God has revealed himself to us in his word and in his son so that we can go out into a lost and dying world and we can say to our neighbors, I can tell you exactly why you struggle with sin. I can tell you where you came from. I can tell you why God made you. I can tell you where history is going. Not because I'm that smart, but because I have a relationship with the God who made you and made me and spoke all of this into existence. And he's revealed himself to us in his word. And yet far too often we lose our advantage and we become no better than the world. Why? Because we don't know our Bibles. 
a lot of Christians struggle because they don't know the truth. And the reason that they don't know the truth is because they don't seek to acquire the truth. And the reason they don't seek to acquire it is because at the base level, they don't think they need it. Listen to me this morning. If you're not reading your Bible, it's because you think you can figure it out on your own. This book is a roadmap. It's like the, 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 the paratroopers that went into Normandy prior to the invasion and found out where all the gun places were and were able to radio back and saved a whole lot of lives because they had information about where the pitfalls were. You and I have a book that tells us where the pitfalls are. They tell us how to navigate life. It tells us where we're going. Yet far too often it sits on the shelf. It's our advantage. And so if I could just encourage you this morning on the thousandth time, read your Bible. You're going to get bombarded with a lot of voices in your life today. Make sure that the voice you hear louder than any other voice is the voice of God and his word because it gives you an advantage. It's amazing to me we put so much stock in a bunch of political pundits and news organizations who don't have a clue what's going on in this world. So I hope and pray that the voice you're listening to more than any other voice. People say, where should you get your news? Get your news, but start with the Bible. Know your Bible. It gives us an advantage. It tells us where history is headed. I can't, but God can. Then we see God's confirmation of this interpretation and of this dream in verse 32. And I think it's so critical. Joseph, I, I think the idea is that, that Pharaoh is saying, why did God give me two dreams? Why do you have to tell it to me twice? And so in verse 32, now as, now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will bring it about quickly. Joseph says the reason that God gave you two dreams that, made the sa- that uh, meant the same thing is so that you would know that it has been absolutely determined by God, and he will bring it about And what's interesting about this is that when you think about the Joseph narrative and all that happens in Joseph's life, almost everything happens in pairs. Almost everything that happens in Joseph's life happens twice. He initially, he has two dreams. His brothers have two plans for him. Uh, He has two waves of temptation with Potiphar's wife. He has two humiliations. He has two exaltations. Everything that happens in Joseph's life happens in pairs. And so I can't help but wonder at this moment as he says these words to Joseph or to Pharaoh, if Joseph doesn't get a little smile on his face and think, this is exactly what God's been doing in my life. Over and over and over again, all along the way, God has been telling me, I'm in control, my purposes are fixed, and they will not be stopped. Over and over again, and Joseph's like, like, like two footsteps behind him. Everywhere he goes, God is shouting to Joseph, I'm in control, my purposes are fixed, they will not be stopped. I'm in control, my purposes are fixed, they will not be stopped, Joseph. Write it down and take it to the bank. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the only thing you have to be afraid of is not being faithful to me. What an encouragement to Joseph. That listen, Pharaoh's not really in control. Potiphar's not really in control. Potiphar's wife doesn't really have control. I'm in control. You just be faithful to me. 
I'm in control, my purposes are fixed, and they will not be stopped. And all of us need to hear that this morning. God has not made any mistakes. He's not fallen asleep. He's not lost his page in the book. He is in control. His purposes are fixed, and they will not be stopped. And isn't this incredibly encouraging today? That we don't really have to be afraid. Because all these authorities who think they have so much power, they're not really in control. And the only thing that we have to fear is not being faithful to God right where he's placed us. I mean, every day I do this, not that I had any control to begin with, but I just relinquish control of my life and the world to God. And all I plead for is God help me today to be faithful. What an encouragement to Joseph. Then we see Joseph's consultation in verse 33. Joseph gives Pharaoh advice. I think it's a critical moment because all Pharaoh has really asked Joseph to do is to interpret the dream, right? I mean, that's all he asked him to do. Just give me an interpretation. But Joseph takes it a step further. And I think it took some level of boldness. In fact, as I read these stories and study them, I try to put myself in Joseph's shoes because it just kind of brings the story to life. But I can't help but wonder if Joseph doesn't say, here's what the dream means. God has confirmed it. And I wonder if Joseph started to walk out of the room and said, hey, bye, can, would you let me go home now? Can I, can I just go free? I'm good. Let's, let's get out of here. And as he begins to walk away, it's just like it hits him. I know too much. I not only know the problem, but God has given me the solution. And it's almost as if Joseph in this moment, I mean, t listen, he's Pharaoh's in control of, of the world at that moment, essentially. And he has the audacity to tell him, hey, Pharaoh, not only here's the dream, he's just a prisoner. He just got out of the dungeon. And he's going to stand before the most powerful man in the world and tell him, here's what you need to do. I mean, what boldness, what courage. And in fact, if you read it correctly, he tells Pharaoh to let, raise taxes. How about that? You're going to have to raise taxes. That's a bold move. But why does he do it? I think because Joseph knows I have information, not just about the problem, but the solution. And shame on me if I stay quiet at this moment. And it hits me that, folks, that's us. We're really good at pointing out all the errors of our world today, aren't we? Boy, we're really good about telling the world how it's messed up. I mean, we're banning Dr. Seuss. What's wrong with us? You know, what have we come to? But what do we, you know, listen, and that's okay, but we're, if all we ever do is point out all the problems, we've missed it. See, we know the problems, but more importantly, we know the solution. And folks, I pray that our lives are characterized more by talking about the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the solution, than sitting around and grumping and complaining about all the problems. And shame on us if we stay silent. 
We got too much knowledge, don't we? We know that there's a day coming. We know that Christ is the only solution. We can't just walk out of the room. We got to have boldness to say, here's the problem, but let me tell you even better what the solution is. And it's amazing the not only Pharaoh, but his advisors say, this, we, this is good. We, we can't find a man in whom a divine spirit is like this. Let's give him the job. And you know what? I, as I see Joseph giving Pharaoh the plan, I don't sense in any way in Joseph there's this idea that I want the job. I think this is just Joseph saying, here, I just can't, I can't leave it at that because I know too much. I've got to tell you, here's what you ought to do. God has gifted me in such a way that I know what you ought to do, and here's the solution. But he's not trying to maneuver for a position. But throughout this, you see a guy who's humbling himself before God. And listen, what does God do with those who continually humble themselves before him? Sooner or later, he does what? He lifts them up. It's the Jesus pattern. It's Philippians chapter 2 that Christ humbled himself even to the point of death and God did what? God exalted him. You know what the Greek word for exalted is? It's oopsie. You know what we do with a little kid that falls down? What do we do? Oopsie and we pick him up. What a powerful picture of how God works in our lives as we seek to be humble servants. More often than not that God will raise us up. And so God raises up Joseph here in verse 38 and following. And you talk about a dramatic turn of events. This is the greatest ascent in the Bible apart from Jesus. This is as low as a person can be from a dungeon to as high as a person can be, second in command over all of Egypt. In fact, Pharaoh basically says nobody's going to do anything in all the land apart from you. I mean, this is the height of power in that day. And all of it occurs in a matter of hours. Listen, he wakes up eating breakfast in a dungeon, and at the end of the day, he's going to eat dinner in Pharaoh's palace. In verse 40, he's given authority over all my house. In verse 42, he's given glory. He's not given just a signet ring. He's given Pharaoh's signet ring. Garments, necklace, chariot. In verse 43, he has power. They go before his chariot, and they say, bend the knee. And in verse 45, he has exaltation. He's got a new name. You know what that name means? It means God lives and God speaks. This man is a living declaration that God is alive and he's spoken. Oh, that it would be said about all of us. That as we go forth in life, we would be a living declaration that God is alive. The only explanation for our lives is God is alive. And God still speaks. And what did it do to Joseph? What did all this prosperity do to Joseph? It didn't affect his faithfulness one iota. He is in in tragedy. He is faithful. In the dungeon, he is faithful. Faithful As a slave, he is faithful. And in prosperity, he is faithful. And listen, sometimes it's easier to deal with tragedy than it is prosperity. 
And some of you are probably thinking, it may be tough, but I'd sure like to try it at least once, you know? But Joseph, all this prosperity that God brought in his life, it didn't change his character. It doesn't change his faithfulness. In fact, you see it in the naming of his children. Is the names of his children. God made me forget. God made me fruitful. This is the essence of Paul in Philippians. I've learned the secret. Being well-fed and going hungry and both having abundance and suffering need. You can put me in the dungeon or in the palace. It doesn't matter. As long as I have God, I got all I need. And who gets the credit for all this? I mean, just in the naming of his children, God has. God has. Only God gets the glory. It's the essence of Paul in Ephesians. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ever think, ask or imagine to him be the glory forever and ever in the church and in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I don't think, I really don't believe that Joseph ever expected that he would be in this role. In his wildest dreams of what God would do in his life, he never expected that this would be his job. And it's a good reminder to all of us this morning, whatever your greatest dreams are for your life, of what you would love to see God do in your life, whatever your greatest dreams you would love for God to do in your marriage, whatever your greatest imaginations are for what you would love to God to do in your family, it's but the tip of the iceberg in terms of what God wants to do. Not for your glory but for his so that the only way you could explain it was the glory of God now as we look at this exaltation of Joseph we have to understand that not everybody from a physical perspective is going to have this kind not not all of us are going to not many of us are going to have this kind of exaltation of going to prison to the palace but know this today Everybody who humbles themselves before the Lord and trusts in Christ, spiritually speaking, does have this exaltation. It's the essence of Ephesians chapter (laughs) 2. That you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working, the sons of disobedience. And among them we all too lived according to the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Spiritually speaking, all of us today, prior to faith in Christ, were in the dungeon of death. We were hopeless, and we had no hope of ever leaving. Every opportunity in and of ourselves had passed us by. But but Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, for by grace you've been saved, he's raised us up. And seated us with Christ. He's made us alive and raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Do you understand that today? That if you have trusted in Christ, you have been exalted. You have an eternal destination that's so secure that we can talk about it in the past tense. Now, right now, we... We see through a glass dimly, don't we? Boy, it seems, I don't know about you, but sometimes it just seems, you ever been in those moments where you just feel the clock hand tick, tick, tick? It feels like God is moving slowly right now. Boy, it feels like we're, we're struggling, but what do we know? We know that our light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. 
We know that we have salvation in Christ, but right now it feels, as Peter says, in this, you, uh, even though now, if necessary, for a little while, you've been distressed by various trials, so that your faith, being tested, refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is this. We feel like we know what we have in Christ, but it feels like God is moving very slowly. But we know there's a day coming when God will work very quickly. As Paul said to the Corinthians, Behold, I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And God will transform the the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. In other words, it feels like God is moving slowly through the chaotic events of life. And we sit in the darkness of what sometimes feels like a dungeon. But we know and what God communicates to us on the basis of his word is that he is in control. His purposes are fixed and they will not be stopped. That God will bring his promises to fruition. And one day we just might wake up eating breakfast in Olathe and in the day feasting with the king of kings and the lord of lords at the marriage supper of the land. Lamb. And listen, the exaltation we'll experience on that day will make Joseph look like nothing. And who will get the glory? What did Paul say in Ephesians? <laughs> so that God might display the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen, God is sovereign over Egypt. He's sovereign over the Egyptian economy. There was, in that day, there was nothing more sure than the Egyptian economy. But God was sovereign over it for his purposes. For the maneuvering of his people right where he wanted them. For the accomplishment of his purposes for his glory. You know, Adrian Rogers, he used to say, he say, you know, everybody asks, what is this world coming to? He'd say, I'll tell you what this world's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. God's already determined it. So just hang on. It feels like it's moving real slowly. But the only thing we have to be afraid of is not being faithful to God in our generation. And I can't help but do this every week. But does Joseph remind you of somebody Does Joseph remind you of somebody who was exalted from death to life and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Does Joseph remind you of somebody who is given all authority? Does Joseph remind you of somebody who one day as Joseph would go out and they would say, bow the knee, Does Joseph remind you of somebody before whom one day every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess? Does Joseph remind you of somebody who is exalted from death to life and he takes to himself a pagan wife, a Gentile bride? Does that remind you of somebody who takes to himself, who's exalted from death to life and takes to himself a Gentile bride called the ecclesia, the church? Does Joseph remind you of somebody who's exalted from life to death and he becomes fruitful? Out of his 
affliction, God brings forth fruitfulness of Jesus, who out of the affliction of his death brings forth fruitfulness. And who is the fruitfulness of his labor and his affliction? We're sitting right here in this room this this morning. And I love this. Pharaoh, in severe famine, as people were dying, he said, when people come to us, And they're looking for life in the midst of death. What's the command? Go to to Joseph. Listen, if you're here this morning, you just so happen to slip in here today. And you're living in a world of famine and you feel like you're spiritually dying. Do you know what we tell you? Go to Jesus. He's the bread of life. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you today for the clarity of your word. God, the beauty of your word is that from beginning to end, it speaks of one theme. The sinfulness of man and the salvation that you have provided in your son, Jesus. God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would be so overwhelmed in what you've done for them and the sending of Jesus on the cross to die for for their sins. The salvation that you've accomplished for them that they couldn't accomplish on their own. The salvation that's readily available today to them, not on the basis of anything they do, but just simply placing their faith in Jesus. A salvation that secures for them an eternal destination, an eternal home. A salvation that immediately exalts them spiritually speaking and promises them heaven. God, I pray that that salvation would be so overwhelming to them this morning they couldn't help but run to you. God, for those of us that do know you in a world where so often it appears that you're moving so slowly, the events appear so chaotic and sometimes it feels like we're in a dungeon God I pray that you'd help us to hold on to you I pray that we would rest in your sovereignty you're in control your purposes are fixed they'll not be stopped and I pray that our heart's desire would simply be faithfulness And at the right times and the right moments, when you thrust us into situations that are bigger than ourselves, we'll be ready to testify to the glory of the God we serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.